This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. Thank you, Jesus, that we have been set free of all of our sin and our guilt and our shame. God, thank you. All we can say in this moment, God, is thank you. Thank you for your son. God, thank you for dying for us and raising from the dead, God, so that we could spend eternity with you, new life with you. What love, what extravagant love, Father, that you showed us in that moment. You were willing to die for us, but you are no longer dead. You are alive and you are living, and we have the hope of Jesus. Father, we praise you. We thank you for this day and what it represents, and that we can be here together to glorify and honor you. In your holy name we pray.
your love was so amazing in that moment father we praise you for this time we've had to worship you honor you and praise you for what you've done for us god i pray that as we move into a time of hearing from you move in our hearts let us feel you feel your joy and your power maybe in a way we haven't in a long time we love you. It's your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. So do you like to win? Come on, y'all. 
Do you all like to win? Yeah. yeah. So uh, it was 12 to 10, three seconds left on the clock. We were playing the Towers Titans my senior year of football. All they had to do was make the field goal and it would send us home. But if they missed, we would go play in the Georgia Dome. The Georgia Dome for me as a senior in football was something I dreamed of, to play where Chris Chandler and Jamal Anderson played in the 1998 Super Bowl, to play where Tom Brady and Brett Favre and all the greats and the quarterbacks whom I grew up watching and admiring, to play in front of my grandfather wearing his jersey number with my dad's undershirt on underneath my pads. I wanted to play in the Georgia Dome. I wanted to win. I wanted them to miss this field goal probably more than anything at that point in my life. I am competitive and I like to win. A lot of times that gets me in trouble. That's probably why most of you didn't want it. We're like, yeah, because your spouse was like, yeah, that's you. <laughs> this is me. This is sometimes what I wrestle with internally as I deal with temptation in my own life. I like to win. Maybe this came to an head when I was a student pastor and I was trying to destroy 14-year-old boys with a dodgeball. And I think part of it was that I needed to calm down. And so I had to learn to not seek simply to win, but for relationships. A lot of times when we seek to win, we lose relationships, right? A lot of times, I mean, you guys were maybe watched NBA basketball last night cheering for your favorite team. Maybe you wanted Steph Curry to win last night. Maybe you watched lacrosse or football this year. Maybe you were a Ravens fan and so you struggled a lot this year. I don't know what you were, but I know when we lose, sometimes it just hurts. But oftentimes when we win, when we seek to win so hard, we lose so many things. We lose friendships and relationships. We lose money a lot of times. We lose things when our ultimate purpose is simply to win. When we don't focus on relationships, we simply revolve and devolve into simply just winning. I wanted to win so bad. With the kick in the air, three seconds left on the clock, 12 to 10, I watched as the ball was headed to go in the field goal or out, and it would determine my future as a football player. This would be the end of my career. It hit the bottom of the right post and fell out. We went to the Georgia Dome. We played in the Georgia Dome. It was my dream come true. It was everything I longed for. But my football season still ended. See, it was this kick and this moment that everything had built up to. Everything, I mean, even like if you think about a, a small, I mean, don't make fun, don't throw jokes, but I'm talking about a small southern city and their Friday night football. Anything you picture about that, that's North Hall football. That's who I played for. That's what we did. It was my life from sunup to sundown. I played football. I worked out, practiced, and played to the point of it was life for me. Friday night lights, everything in this moment, our whole city watching to see everything on the line if we would make it to the Georgia Dome. And when we did, it was celebration, excitement, the difficulty and the struggle, the, the pain and the process was over and we found victory. 
I think and I believe that it was Jesus on the cross, knowing what he was winning, that pushed him to the cross to defeat in the eyes of the culture, but to victory in the eyes of his Father. You see, on Friday night, it looked like defeat. It looked like condemnation. It looked like uh, the end. It looked like the finale. It looked like being put on death row. It looked like everything was over on Friday night. But come Sunday, there was victory. I think this is why Jesus went to the cross in the first place, because he knew what he was winning. You see, sometimes when we try to win, we lose relationships. But Jesus on the cross knew what he was winning, and that was relationships. You see, Jesus on the cross, he was dying for you and for me. The purpose being on the cross, that he would gain us. We are his victory. Isn't that unbelievable to think about? Like, you go through pain in your life, you go through suffering in your life, you go through defeat in your life. You fight through things in your life to gain something, to win something. And Christ, Jesus himself, went to the cross knowing that he would face difficulty and pain and what looked like defeat because he was winning something. You. That's what's unbelievable about the cross. And I want to show you this morning through three different passages how Jesus turned sorrow into joy, defeat into victory, death into life. There's a word in Greek when you see someone. So like in common English language, when we see somebody, we may say, what's up? How's it going, bro? How you doing? Hope you have a great week. Man, I hope things go well for you. Sometimes we just pass by super quick and just, man, how you doing? Great. Okay, awesome. Hope things go well. In Greek, there was common language. They would, as they came up to each other, often say a phrase, which was kairete. It's uh, really just one word, but it means something like in English, greetings or have a good day, or it can mean, in certain circumstances, the word H-A-I-L, like hell, king of the Jews. Or you may know it as, uh, in college football or in other sports, you may know it as hell state or like hell Maryland, where you raise up and glorify something that you love. Hail, King of the Jews. I want to show you three times that this word is used in Matthew. And it is the only three times, in fact, that it is used in Matthew. He uh, records this word, kairete, only three times from people's mouths. And they're in chapter 26, 27, and 28. So in Matthew 26, 49, it says, So immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Kairete, greetings, Rabbi. And kissed him. Many of you know this story. This is the story of Judas betraying Jesus. It's a moment where in, in literally in one moment in time, he's wrapping up his betrayal by saying, Kairete as in hell teacher, hell rabbi, my king and my God. It's like, that's what he should say. That's what he, what he ought to say. And so when he comes up to him, he almost puts it in this, this situation of like, here he is. Listen to my words of, this is the rabbi. This is the teacher. Hell rabbi. In one moment, kairete is used in betrayal. In the next moment, Matthew 27, verse 27 through 31, it says, Then then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the governor's residence and gathered the whole company around him. They stripped him and dressed him in a scarlet robe. They twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and placed his staff in his right hand. And they knelt down before him and mocked. And they mocked him, kairete. King of the Jews. Hail, King 
of the Jews. Then they spat on him, took the staff, and kept hitting him on the head. After they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, put put his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. In Matthew 26, Judas betrays Jesus with one word, Kyrete. In Matthew 27, the Roman soldiers mock Jesus, Kyrete. But in Matthew 28, 1 through 10, I want, you to, I want to show you what Jesus does because he flips everything on its head. It's the kingdom upside down. He turns sorrow into joy, defeat into victory, and death into life in one word. Matthew 28, 1 through 10. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to, the, uh, to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. The angel told the women, Don't be afraid. Because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. Just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing from the tomb with, uh, so departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And pause there just for a moment. What kind of, what kind of um, emotions are going through you to have both fear and joy? Right? Like, it's, it, it's see, fear and joy being sort of an emotion, sort of a status in life, uh, joy being that like, kind of lifelong, that, that long-term happiness, fear uh, being something that, that, that could happen, the potential of something that could happen has is, is got you anxious because you're worried about what could happen. Fear is the worry of what could happen to you or to your life or to someone around you. You fear something. But joy, being joyful, having that long-term happiness, how does joy and fear uh, uh, live within one person at the same time? It's pretty amazing. It's a, it kind of shows us that in one moment they, were, they saw an angel and were fearful of the angel, but at the same time we're like, okay, the tomb is empty. You see, Jesus in a, only his own countercultural way and flipping the kingdom upside down way could take two women uh, to the cross uh, to view him, uh, to the tomb to see him placed in the tomb, and then to the resurrection to see him raised from the dead. You see, uh, Matthew, I think, wants us to see that the same people who saw him dying on the cross and dead were the same same people who saw him buried in the tomb and dead and then saw the tomb empty and alive. Matthew wants us to know that there was somebody who saw all three situations and proclaimed the same truth. He was dead, now he's alive. And you know what's unbelievable about that? The historical account is, historical account is so reliable. I mean, any uh, author who is trying to be historical in this, especially if they're like in a setting of uh, a law court uh, type setting where they want people to really believe that this took place. You may have heard this before, and I'm not going to go into all the historicity of it, but I will tell you this. To choose two women at this time would have been um, not wise on, in the sense that they did not believe what a woman said. Now, that's their culture, not our culture. But when uh, in court, you wouldn't take a woman to stand and say, well, let her share about what happened in the story, because nobody believed it. So for Matthew to record that the people that saw Jesus dead in the tomb and raised from the dead was to historically and reliably record what happened. 
And I want you to hear that. I want you to know that because the Bible's not twisting things. It's accurately portraying what took place. It's not twisting things to make sense for religious people. It's not twisting things to make sense for Roman people. It's not twisting things. It's recording what took place. Two people saw Jesus dead. Two people saw Jesus in a tomb. And two people saw Jesus raised from the dead. And today, that should change everything because of one word. It says, So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then, Jesus met them and said, Kyrete. They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. You know, the last time most of the disciples saw Jesus, he was praying in the garden, weeping, and they were sleeping. Peter was denying. John was running from a distance, maybe just to come see what had happened. He even comes to the tomb just to kind of check out what took place. Peter comes to the tomb just to check out and see what took place. Nobody sees Jesus. They're not with Jesus. They're just denying and running away from Jesus. The disciples are going back to their jobs and their careers and their families trying to figure out what they're going to do, if they can do anything, because they followed after this man for many years and they lost everything in a moment because Jesus is dead, right? But everyone knew, all people believed that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, their rabbi, their savior, their master, their healer, the one who raised the guy up who was paralyzed, who gave the guy who couldn't see sight, all they believed that that man who did those things was dead. That's what they knew. They knew he was in the garden. They knew he was taken away. And they knew he was dead. And then Jesus comes up to the ladies and says... Kyrete. Judas betrayed Jesus with Kyrete. The Roman soldiers betray, uh, mocked Jesus with Kyrete. And Jesus flips it all upside down when he comes up to the women and says, Kyrete, you know why? Because Kyrete is true. Good news has come. Joy has come. Hail, King of the Jews. Hail, King of the world has come. Jesus can walk up to these women and say, Kyrete, because there is joy. Because relationship has been brought together. Because Jesus isn't in the tomb. Because Jesus is alive. You see, let's rework this. Let's rethink this. Let's rethink what the disciples saw. You see, the last time the disciples saw Jesus, when they heard Kyrete, they heard Judas betray Jesus. The last time the disciples saw Jesus, they saw him walking away with the Roman soldiers to be taken and tried and be killed on a cross and be buried in a tomb. They believed he was dead. The last time Peter did it, he denied him. The last time John was around him, he was running from a distance. The last time the disciples were with him, they believed he was Jesus of Nazareth, their rabbi, their savior, their master, their healer. They believed that he could heal people from being uh, blind, heal people from not being able to walk. They could heal people who were possessed. They believed that Jesus was their everything and he was dead. But now he's alive. You see, that's the gospel. That now everyone knows that this Jesus of Nazareth, the humble baby boy, the growing up young man, the riot-causing man, the crowd-stirring teacher, the wave-calming savior, the blind-restoring healer is God because he's not in the tomb. I believe that on that day, Jesus redeemed Kyrete. 
He made it good to see each other again. I can't imagine what it was like for the disciples to see, them, see Jesus for the first time. There had to have been some guilt and shame. There had to have been some frustration. He had to be restoring Thomas. Restore, Thomas is still doubting. Peter's still denying. John's still struggling. And the other disciples can't figure out if they should come back and what they should do. And Jesus is going, Kyrete, I'm alive and I'm God. Like that's how things are changing. Jesus is flipping everything upside down and taking sorrow to joy and defeat to victory and death to life. That's what my God is doing, flipping and everything upside down. And when Jesus in one moment comes to proclaim Kyrete, he changes their entire life. They thought they were going back to work, back to family, back and in shame and in defeat and feeling like their master and their Lord and their Savior was dead. And now they're not going back. They're moving forward to what? Preach the gospel. Because in Matthew 28, at the very end of Matthew 28, he doesn't say all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me and yet I was defeated. He says, no, go. Now it's time to go. You want to see the world flipped upside down? Watch people who think a dead man is done, defeated, gone. See him alive. The world got turned upside down. And y'all, today, Friday got turned upside down. And today, our lives are turned upside down. We don't live in Friday anymore. We're not in our sin. We're not in our defeat. We're not in our death. We're not in our disease because Christ has come to overcome all of these things. And though we may struggle in this world and fight in this world, remember, Jesus didn't take the cross thinking he was going to lose. And we don't live in this life believing we're going to lose. We live in this life struggling with temptation, struggling with disease, struggling with the potential of death, knowing that in the end we are victorious because Christ raised from the dead. Man, I think about it from the devil's perspective. What he thought on Friday was defeat. On Sunday, he found out he was the loser. He found out he failed. He found out that he had no more power over Jesus. Because if you can break free from sin, Satan, and death, you must be the Son of God. And Jesus, in a moment, in a word, kairete. 1 Corinthians 15, 56-57 says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, you have victory. Man, there's a lot of, I I know the majority, I probably would say a good majority of the people in this room like to win. Like you don't sit around thinking, man, I just, today I'd like to wake up and just lose at everything. (laughs) There may be some reality, like when I try to play my grandfather in chess, I'm going to lose. I know I'm going to lose. It's not a significant thing, but I look out at this room and I know there's some people who were raised up in the Great Depression. Maybe your grandparents were. Maybe your parents were. Some of you are scrappy. I mean, when we think about scrappy, I think about the people who survived through the Great Depression, right? I think about people who've gone through difficult financial times. Look, I know that there are some out there, you gave up so much so that your family could live. You've provided financially. You've provided emotionally. You've given your life so that your family could have a life for your children. Look, I never knew how much I wanted to win until I had a child who I wanted to win. (laughs) How much more I want my daughter to win five-year-old soccer. (laughs) It pains me. (laughs) Got to keep those under control. But I know that many of you fought. You have fought for victory for your family. Man, some of you have hurt. You've been scrappy. You've been fighting. You've been working hard. You've been working long nights. You've been working long days. You've been praying your entire life that some people would stop in the temptation that they are pursuing. 
Man, there's some parents in here, you are broken hearted because you've watched your children pursue something other than what God has for them. Addicted to something that has controlled them. There's pain. There's pain in defeat, man. We want to win. You see, the good news of Sunday is that in the end, even if we feel like it's Friday, in the end, Jesus wins. The good news for us is that we win too. Like if we can't cling on to that, then we've lost everything. Like if you feel like you're still on Friday, man, we we feel defeated. We can't live like we still live in Friday. We can't live like we're on the cross too. We can't live like we have the guilt and the shame. We can't live like if we die, we're going to be dead forever without Christ. We can't live like that, man. There's too much pain wrapped up in that. There's too much anxiety, depression. There's too much separation. There's too much frustration, anger. There's too much wrapped up into that that's all about what Jesus took on the cross to die with him, not to live with us. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we could die on the cross too. He died on the cross so that you might have life. You see, we fight through every suffering, every persecution, every single disease and death and temptation. We fight knowing that we are, in the end, victorious. That's why I believe, and, and I hope you walk away, that your gospel response this morning is that we will win. We will have victory over sin, and we will have victory over death. That is a truth. We cannot, we cannot live a life feeling like we are not victorious when Christ raised from the dead. Sin has no power. Death has no hold. We are victorious. So what are we going to do about this? Are we going to be like the disciples finding Jesus alive and giving our lives entirely over to Him? Going to preach the gospel to all the nations, living our lives uh, in a way that tells the world, tells all those who are separated from Him and experiencing sin, death, and disease without Him that Jesus is alive and He's not dead? What are we going to do? I believe we ought to do two things. Remember that you, you win over sin and remember that you win over death. You've got to live a victorious life over sin and death. You see, today, you can have this promise and this truth. If Jesus died on the cross and raised from the dead, he did it to secure forgiveness for you and freedom for you. If you're struggling with temptation this morning, if you feel like you are in a temptation that you can't break free from, let me tell you this promise. Jesus Christ didn't die on the cross so that you could live in guilt and addiction your entire life. On the cross, he was securing victory for you not defeat. And look, man, I, over the past few years, as, as I've said before, man, you, people have lost loved ones in this room. You've seen people turn to addictions in this room. You've seen people pursue things other than what would bring them true joy in this world, but only would bring them a temporary amount of satisfaction. You've watched people veer off from what God has for them. And today, we need to remember and proclaim over them that sin does not have the final word. Temptation does not have the final word. Your struggle this morning, it doesn't define you. Jesus took that on the cross. The death and the pain, the disease, it does not define you. 
There's victory in your future. There is life in your future. You may fight your entire life to overcome temptation. You may be nearing the end of your life on earth. But there is victory. That's what we believe. That is the hope of Jesus. That today, you can overcome your temptation. Believe. Today, you can overcome death. Just believe. Christ has secured this for you. As the band comes, we're going to worship. We're going to sing about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, raising from the dead to overcome sin, Satan, and death. If you don't believe that this morning, if you don't, if you don't know that your sin and death was taken upon the cross by Jesus, and that when he raised from the dead, that sin and that death has no more power over you, if you don't believe that truth, I want to talk to you. I'll be up here. Pastor Glenn is right over here. We would love to talk to you. Talk to one of us or talk to somebody around you. If this is your first time back in church in a long time, maybe you haven't been coming to church, look, I'm pumped. Like, I'm so excited that you're here. I don't care if it's because of COVID or a sin temptation or a health struggle or whatever. I'm just thankful that you're here. And if you're here, I know that God has something for you today. And I hope that whether it's a a struggle with health or a struggle with temptation, you will know that God has overcome both. And if today you are fighting, I would love to talk to you. Pastor Glenn would love to talk to you. If today you just need help, man, you just need to lay it down before God and say, man, I just need help. Somebody help me. Jesus didn't go to heaven without leaving disciples. There's a reason. To help. He sent the helper to help. He sent God, Son to earth, so that we might have the Spirit of in us to help. We're here. Don't live in defeat. Don't live in Friday. Jesus is one. Let's pray. Father, would you overcome our struggles, our sin, our temptation, overcome our failures? And Father, one day would you overcome that death and that disease that will take us? I pray, Father, today you would give us the hope, the confidence that today is not Friday. Today is a day of victory where sorrow has been turned to joy, defeat has been turned to victory, and death has been turned to life. God, would you give us a hope confidence. I pray, Father, that you would work in everyone's life in this room, that in our hearts we would know that we are free and forgiven, that the addictions of this world have no hold upon us, that the death that comes in this world will not be the final word, and that you are our victorious King. May you, Father, in one word, change our lives with good news. We love you and we praise you in your son's name. Amen.
from the ashes of defeat the resurrected king is resurrecting me in your name i come alive to declare your victory and the resurrected king is resurrecting
resurrecting us in victory. Amen. Remember that you are sent into the midst of darkness to light it up. We'll see you next week. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.